Chapter One of The Five Jars. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please contact LibriVox.org. Recording by Peter Yearsley. The Five Jars by M. R. James. Chapter One. The Discovery. My dear Jane, you remember that you were puzzled when I told you I had heard something from the owls or, if not puzzled, for I know you have some experience of these things, you were at any rate anxious to know exactly how it happened. Perhaps the time has now come for you to be told. It was really luck, and not any skill of mine, that put me in the way of it. Luck, and also being ready to believe more than I could see. I have promised not to put down on paper the name of the wood where it happened. That can keep till we meet." but all the rest I can tell exactly as it came about. It is a wood with a stream at the edge of it. The water is brown and clear. On the other side of it are flat meadows, and beyond these a hillside quite covered with an oak wood. The stream has alder trees along it, and is pretty well shaded over. The sun hits it in places, and makes flecks of light through the leaves. The day I am thinking of was a very hot one in early September, I had come across the meadows with some idea of sitting by the stream and reading. The only change in my plans that I made was that, instead of sitting down, I lay down, and instead of reading, I went to sleep. You know how sometimes, but very, very seldom, you see something in a dream which you are quite sure is real. So it was with me this time. I did not dream any story or see any people. I only dreamt of a plant. In the dream no one told me anything about it. I just saw it, growing under a tree. A small bit of the tree-root came into the picture, an old, gnarled root, covered with moss, and with three sort of eyes in it, round holes trimmed with moss. You know the kind. The plant was not one I should have thought much about, though certainly it was not one that I knew. It had no flowers or berries, and grew quite squat in the ground, more like a yellow aconite without the flower than anything else. It seemed to consist of a ring of six leaves, spread out pretty flat, with nine points on each leaf. As I say, I saw this quite clearly, and remembered it, because six times nine makes fifty-four, which happens to be a number which I had a particular reason for remembering at that moment. Well, there was no more in the dream than that, but such as it was, it fixed itself in my mind like a photograph, and I was sure that if ever I saw that tree-root and that plant, I should know them again. And though I neither saw nor heard anything more of them than I have told you, it was borne in upon my mind that the plant was worth finding. When I woke up, I still lay, feeling very lazy, on the grass, with my head within a foot or two of the edge of the stream, and listened to its noise, until, in five or six minutes, whether I began to doze off again or not, does not much matter. The water sound became like words, and said, Trickle up, trickle up, an immense number of times. It pleased me, for, though in poetry we hear a deal about babbling brooks, and though I am particularly fond of the noise they make, I never was able before to pretend that I could hear any words. And when I did finally get up and shake myself awake, I thought I would anyhow pay so much attention to what the water said, as to stroll up the stream instead of down, so I did. It took me through the flat meadows, but still along the edge of the wood, and still every now and then I heard the same peculiar noise, which sounded like trickle up, 
Not so very long after I came to a place where another stream ran out of the wood into the one I had been following, and just below the place where the two joined there was not a bridge but a pole across, and another pole to serve as a rail by which you could cross without trouble. I did cross, not thinking much about it, but with some idea of looking at this new little stream which went at a very quick pace and seemed to promise small rapids and waterfalls a little higher up. Now, when I got to the edge of it, there was no mistake. It was saying, trickle up, or even track up, much plainer than the old one. I stepped across it and went a few yards up the old stream. Before the new one joined it, it was saying nothing of the kind. I went back to the new one. It was talking as plain as print. Of course, there were no two words about what must be done now. Here was something quite new, and even if I missed my tea, it had got to be looked into. So I went up the new stream into the wood. Though I was well on the lookout for unusual things, in particular the plant, which I could not help thinking about, I cannot say that there was anything peculiar about the stream, or the plants, or the insects, or the trees, except the words which the water was saying, so long as I was in the flat part of the wood. But as soon as I came to a steepish bank, the land began to slope up suddenly, and the rapids and waterfalls of the brook were very gay and interesting. Then, besides track up, which was now its word always instead of trickle, I heard every now and then, all right, which was encouraging and exciting. Still, there was nothing out of the way to be seen, look as I might. The climb up the slope or bank was fairly long. At the top was a kind of terrace, pretty level and with large old trees growing upon it mainly oaks. Beyond there was a further slope up, and still more woodland. But that does not matter now. For the present, I was at the end of my wanderings. There was no more stream, and I had found what of all natural things I think pleases me best, a real spring of water, quite untouched. Five or six oaks grew in something like a semicircle, and in the middle of the flat ground in front of them was an almost perfectly round pool, not more than four or five feet across. The bottom of it in the middle was pale sand, which was continually rising up in little egg-shaped mounds and falling down again. It was the clearest and strongest spring of the kind I had ever seen, and I could have watched it for hours. I did sit down by it and watch it for some time, without thinking of anything but the luck I had had to find it. But then I began to wonder if it would say anything. Naturally, I could not expect it to say track up any more, for here I was at the end of it. So I listened with some curiosity. It hardly made so much noise as the stream. The pool was deeper, but I thought it must say something, and I put my head down as close as I could to the surface of the water. If I am not mistaken, and as things turned out, I am sure I was right, the words were gather, gather, pick, pick, or quick, quick. Now, I had not been thinking about the plant for a little time, but as you may suppose, this brought it back to my mind, and I got up and began to look about at the roots of the old oaks which grew just round the spring. No, none of the roots on this side which faced towards the water were like that which I had seen. Still, the feeling was strong upon me that this, if any, was the kind of place, and even the very place, where the plant must be. So I walked to the back of the trees, being careful to go from right to left according to the course of the sun. Well, I was not mistaken. At the back of the middlemost oak tree, there were the roots I had dreamt of, with the moss and the holes like eyes, and between them was the plant, 
I think the only thing which was new to me in the look of it was that it was so extraordinarily green. It seemed to have in it all the greenness that was possible, or that would be wanted for a whole field of grass. I had some scruples about touching it. In fact, I actually went back to the stream, and listened, to make sure that it was still saying the same thing. Yes, it was. Gather, gather, pick. But there was something else every now and then, which I could not for the life of me make out at first. I lay down, put my hand round my ear, and held my breath. It might have been bark-tree, or dark-tree, or cask-free. I got impatient at last, and said, Well, I'm very sorry, but do what I will, I cannot make out what you're trying to say. Instantly a little spurt of water hit me on the ear, and I heard as clear as possible what it was. Ask-tree! I got up at once. I beg your pardon, I said. Of course, thank you very much. And the water went on saying, Gather, gather, all right, dip, dip. After thinking how best to greet it, I went back to the oak, stood in front of it, and said, of course bearing my head, Oak, I humbly desire your good leave to gather the green plant which grows between your roots. If an acorn falls into this my right hand, which I held out, I will count it that you answer yes, and give you thanks. The acorn fell straight into the palm of my hand. I said, I thank you, Oak, good growth to you. I will lay this your acorn in the place whence I gather the plant. Then very carefully I took hold of the stalk of the plant, which was very short, for, as I said, it grew rather flat on the ground, and pulled, and to my surprise it came up as easily as a mushroom. It had a clean round bulb, without any rootlets, and left a smooth, neat hole in the ground, in which, according to promise, I laid the acorn, and covered it with earth. I think it very likely that it will turn into a second plant. Then I remembered the last word of the spring, and went back to dip the plant in it. I had a shock when I did so, and it was lucky I was holding it firm, for when it touched the water it struggled in my hand, like a fish or a newt, and almost slipped out. I dipped it three times, and thought I felt it growing smaller in my hand, and indeed when I looked at it I found it had shut up its leaves and curled them in quite close, so that the whole thing was little more than a bulb. As I looked at it I thought the water changed its note, and said, That'll do, that'll do. I thought it was time to thank the spring for all it had done for me, though, as you may suppose, I did not yet know in the least what was to be done with the plant, or what use it was going to be. So I went over and said in the politest words I could how much I was obliged, and if there was anything I had or could do which would be agreeable, how glad I should be. Then I listened carefully, for it seemed by this time quite natural that I should get some sort of answer. It came. There was a sudden change in the sound, and the water said clearly and rapidly, Silver, 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 silver. I felt in my pocket. Luckily I had several shillings, sixpences, and half-crowns. I thought the best way was to offer them all. So I put them in the palm of my right hand, and held it under the water, open, just over the dancing sand. For a few seconds the water ran over the silver without doing anything, only the coins seemed to grow very bright and clean. Then one of the shillings was very neatly and smoothly slid off, and then another, and a sixpence. I waited, but no more happened, and the water seemed to draw itself down and away from my hand, and to say, All right. So I got up. The three coins lay on the bottom of the pool, looking brighter than even the newest I have ever seen, and gradually, as they lay there, they began to appear larger. The shillings looked like half-crowns, and the sixpence like a shilling. I thought for a moment that it was because water magnifies, but I soon saw that this could not be the reason, 
for they went on growing larger and of course thinner until they finally spread into a kind of silver film all over the bottom of the pool and as they did so the water began to take on a musical sound much like the singing that comes when you wet your finger and draw it round the edge of a finger-glass at dessert which some people's idea of table manners allows them to do it was a pretty sight and sound and i listened and looked for a long time but all this time what had become of the plant why when i gave the silver to the spring i had wrapped the plant carefully in a silk handkerchief and put it safe in my breast pocket i took the handkerchief out now and for a moment i was afraid the plant was gone but it was not it had shrunk to a very small whitey green ball now what was to be done with it or rather what could it do it was plain to me that it must have a strange and valuable property or virtue since i had been put on its track in such a remarkable way i thought i could not do better than ask the spring i said o spring of water have i your good leave to ask what i should do with this precious plant to put it to the best use the silver lining of the spring made its words much easier to catch when it said anything for i should tell you that for the most part now it did not speak or not in any language that i could understand but rather sang and it now said swallow swallow drink swallow prompt obedience dear jane has always been my motto as it is doubtless yours and i at once laid myself down drank a mouthful of water from the spring and put the little bulb in my mouth it instantly grew soft and slipped down my throat how prosaic i have no idea what it tasted like and again i addressed the spring is there anything more for me to do no 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 you'll see you'll see good-bye good-bye was the answer which came at once accordingly i once more thanked the spring wished it clear water no mud no tramplings of cattle and bade it farewell but i said i should hope to visit it again then i turned away and looked about me wondering whether now that i had swallowed the mysterious plant i should see anything different the only thing i noticed was due i supposed not to the plant but to the spring but it was odd enough all the trees hard by were crowded with little birds of all kinds sitting in rows on the branches as they do on telegraph wires i have no doubt they were listening to the silver bell in the spring they were quite still and did not take any notice when i began to walk away i said you will remember that the ground i was on was a sort of flat terrace at the top of a steep slope now at one end this terrace just went down into the wood but at the other end there was a little mound or hillock with thick underwood behind it i felt a curiosity an inclination to walk that way i have very little doubt that the plant was at the bottom of it as i walked i looked at the ground and noticed a curious thing the roots of the plants and grasses seemed to show more than i was accustomed to see them it was not a great way to the hillock when i got to it i wondered why i had gone for there was nothing odd about it still i stepped on to the top and then i did see something namely a square flat stone just in front of my feet i poked at it with my walking-stick but somehow i did not seem to touch it nor was there any scraping noise this was funny i tried again and now i saw that my stick was not touching it at all there was something in between i felt with my hands and they met with what seemed like grass and earth certainly not like stone then i understood the plant was the one which makes you able to see what is under the ground i need not tell you all i thought or how surprising and delightful it was the first thing was to get at the flat stone and find out what was underneath it accordingly what with a knife and what with my fingers i soon had it uncovered 
It was four or five inches under the surface. There were no marks on it. It measured more than a foot each way. I lifted it. It was the cover of a sort of box, with bottom and sides each made of a slab, just like the lid. In this box was another, made of some dark metal, which I took to be lead. I pulled it out, and found that the lid of the box was all of one piece with the rest, like a sardine tin. Evidently I could not open it there and then. It was rather heavy, but I did not care, and I managed without too much inconvenience to carry it home to the place I was lodging in. Of course I put back the stone neatly, and covered it up with earth and grass again. I was late for tea, but I had found what was better than tea. The End of Chapter 1